0: Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about a very special event coming up. On Thursday, November 14th, the Brave Maker Film Festival will be hosting a special screening of our very own Liz Manichel's newest film, Speed of Life, at the Century 20 in downtown Redwood City at 5.30 p.m. Liz will actually be there in person to answer questions and talk about the film, which is super exciting. And Brave Maker founder in front of the show, Tony Gapastone, has kindly offered a discount for our listeners. So when you buy your tickets to the show, enter Brave Speed of Life Maker in order to get 50% off. That's 50% off. Amazing. So that's lowercase brave, uppercase speed of life, lowercase maker. Once again, lowercase brave, uppercase speed of life, lowercase maker in order to get 50% off this wonderful uh, speed of life screening on November 14th in Redwood City. And where do you enter this code, you might be asking? You got to go to bravemaker.com to get your tickets. That's bravemaker.com to get your tickets. So thanks so much to Tony for uh, making this happen, and uh, yeah, really excited to see you guys all there at the screening. Hopefully I can make it too. And now, on to our episode. And I also just wanted to say really quickly that, um, you know, sorry for the delay on this episode. I've been sick. I wanted to record this for Tony, and I my voice was like, literally, like, even this morning, basically um, unusable. So thanks for your patience, and yeah, I mean, really, the the crowdfunding campaign for the alternate kind of killed me. I stayed up 24 hours, um, you know, the the last day of the campaign to just keep writing emails and reaching out to people, and I'm so grateful to everybody who supported the campaign and helped us get across our goal, which is freaking amazing, allowing us to make our movie. And then I just dived dived right in, you know, to continue on pre-productions I've been doing you know, meetings and scouts and all kinds of stuff, and all with this terrible uh, sore throat, which has been really challenging. Um, but it's getting better, so yeah. Hopefully, I'll be back in tip-top shape uh, really soon. So thanks again to everyone for for everything, and yeah, now on to our episode with Alex Wolf. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Russell. I'm
1: Liz Manichel.
0: And this week on the podcast, we have, um, I don't know if it's the most famous person, but I would say they're probably more famous than most people. I don't know. Um, anyways, his name's Alex Wolf. He is a young actor and a filmmaker. He's made his first film. <laughs>
1: Like um, such an underhanded compliment. What, like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's what? not the most famous person. Well, I
0: was trying to decide if he is because I maybe he is more. It, I guess it depends on who you are because <laughs> I think if you're a young person, he probably is the most famous person. But if he's not, on our if podcast you're not, so far on our on our okay. podcast, other than yeah, us, obviously. Well, we're not famous, right? but. <laughs> I mean, we had Jared Hess on the show, director of Napoleon Dynamite, you know, um, so he's like pretty damn famous. Oh, he's super famous. He's ultra famous. But, um, you know, I think more famous to filmmakers and not famous to normal people, they'd be like, oh, I know that movie. But they wouldn't necessarily know Jared Hess, necessarily, as the name. But I think like... You know, this guy Alex Wolf was in that movie *Hereditary*, which I haven't seen. Everyone's um, so fond of.
1: Co-starring Anne Dowd, the illustrious Anne Dowd.
0: Oh, I, I, oh, there, there you go, nice. Um, I didn't know that, so that's why you guys were talking about Anne Dowd. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, just gushing about her.
0: Nice. Um, anyways, so we we're doing this thing now where we intro our shows uh, and don't just do them as we go, which I think has been fun. Uh, well,
1: I was really surprised by this <laughs> interview. I'm just going to say okay. that, right? I'm really? going to say I was surprised by it. Yeah. What
0: was your What was your expectations? Well, I
1: forgot that he was 21, and so when we started talking, um, I just kind of like pre- presumed as a first time director, he was kind of in the same age range of the people we normally talk to, which I guess ah. is kind yeah. of across the board. But usually, it's right. like mid to late 20s early 30s in that world
2: right right right
1: and then as he went on i was like googling him and i was like oh my god he's 21 like he's so confident like i forgot (laughs) what age does to you it just destroys your soul and i think (laughs) like i was very surprised and and like um Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was kind of like an unusual uh, interview.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it it was very unusual. I mean, it's also, he's an unusual guest, not just because, um, you know, that he's been in things people have seen, like Jumanji and Hereditary and, what Patriot's Day? I think that's another one. Um, In Treatment, when he was like 10 or 9, he was in In Treatment, that HBO show. Right, right. But he's also... He's been on TV since he was like nine or or younger. He was on a show that he had in 2006 called the Naked Brothers Band with his brother, um, Nat Wolf, who was probably even more famous, I would say, than Alex. He was in Death Note and, and he was in The Fault in, in the Stars or The Fault in Your Stars. What is that movie? You know what I'm talking about, well, right? Well,
1: let's not start up like a reinforce, <laughs> and, a rivalry between okay, the two not, brothers. Okay, I'm not
0: trying to say that. Okay, anyways, but... <laughs> I'm just saying, like this guy, you know, he's uh, he's been on in movies and TV for a very long time. So it's just a completely different sort of background than what most of our guests have. And so I thought it was a really interesting opportunity to talk about, like, what is it like to grow up being on camera and then translating that to making your first film, which I kind of think we covered in the conversation, but I think it also just took its own, you know, on its own shape and form and went where it was going to go, you know?
1: Yeah. And I absolutely loved And I'm still, well, I don't know if I agree with, but I loved the moment where he told us how to direct actors and how to treat actors. And I won't go into it too much because people could just listen, but like, I had never heard his perspective before. And now I've just been thinking, am I nice to my actors? Am I nice enough
0: to my actors? it's, It's interesting because I think like, that's kind of how I am. A lot of the time is just very nice, you know, and encouraging. And you know, I, I feel like I've the actors I've worked with and in working with. I've, I'm you not know, not saying I've worked with a lot of actors, but I feel like you know, it, it's such a vulnerable experience that I try to just support them however I can. And the way that I like to support my actors is just through encouragement and through um, you know, like trying to find. The performance together and like working together rather than just me telling them what to do and where to do it, you know.
1: Yeah, that's healthy. Um,
0: I think so. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, but you know, we talked a little bit about how like other directors uh, have other uh, different types of um, you know methods, and uh, you know, it was yeah, it was it was an interesting conversation. but yeah, anything else you want to say about this Alex Wolf show before we jump into this conversation?
1: I mean, I think it was nice of him to do the show. And it was really cool that he was so honest and just kind of said exactly what was off the top of his mind. And uh, we don't normally get that. So that that I did appreciate.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And the Cat and the Moon, which is his film uh, that he wrote, directed, and is starring in, along with uh, a wonderful actor who was in um, this great show I love, uh, Righteous Gemstones. He played like the son of uh, Danny McBride's character in that show, and I saw that he's he's like the other lead in, in the movie, and so he got some really good actors to be in this thing, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably on VOD now. Is that right, Liz? Do we do we do our research on this? <laughs> I think we I think it do is. Our I think it is on VOD. And I know it was in theaters um, starting on uh, October 25th, uh, and this is coming out on November 4th. So it may still be in theaters in some markets, um, but if not, I'm sure you can catch it on um, VOD.
1: You know, Oric, we received an email question and we also have iTunes reviews. We didn't play this out, but should we do one of those things?
0: Yes, let's do it. So what's the e- <laughs> so uh, the email iTunes question? iTunes review is
1: easier because it's right in front of us right now. Sure. Me.
0: Okay. So this next review is called The Only Podcast I'm Going to Review Ever by Mr. Matt Enlow. Uh he, Mr. Matt Enlow writes, This is the only podcast I'm going to review ever because it is that good. Capitalized. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and delete all other podcasts. This is the only one worth your time. Five well don't stars. delete
1: just shoot it. Like maybe keep us and just shoot
0: it. <laughs> well, I think that's a very, you know, sweet and nice review. Um and I think they were already like completely destroying us in the review war that was going on. During that month, um, so that was just a very nice review that Matt sent. Thank, thank you very much, Matt. I don't think I sent a new review to uh, just shoot it during that month, but I had already reviewed their podcast, so you know, at least that's something. But uh, but yeah, next one, uh, amazing podcast by Sudoku Twenty Nineteen. Uh, this is an amazing podcast that I learned lots from, and I really hope you win the Filmmakers Podcast Month Award thing. Five stars. Sudoku, we did not win. We lost terribly. Um, (laughs) It was like, I don't know, man. It was brutal. But um, I really appreciate the reviews that we got. It was great that we got, you know, as many as we did uh, during that month. Um, So, Liz, what's this question that we have?
1: Okay, this lovely human named Martin Duke asked um, a a longer question. So, I'm going to try to just uh, paraphrase, summarize it. They're from Southampton, England. And they said, um, do I... do I dive straight into an idea that I think I can't execute to the level I hope for it, or do, I, or do I sit on my favorite idea until I refine my skills and build my resources? And they go into you know what they've done so far, but I think we've we've touched on this before. At least you have, Ulrich. You know. What do you choose as your first project? And do you pick the thing you care about more than anything? Or do you pick the thing that you have the resources to make?
0: Uh, I think it completely depends on the thing that you care about most. Like, what is it? You know, like, is it Back to the Future Part 4? If it is, um, probably don't try to make that now. Um, Or if it's something on that scale. I would say you might want to wait and pick something different. Um, But if it is something that you can actually achieve or you pull off, or like maybe you're like, oh, I could almost pull it off, but but I mean it's gonna be really hard. Then like do that. You know, do it anyways, right? If you think you could maybe do it, but um, you know. If you're literally like, I need $10 million to make this thing, then obviously maybe put that one aside and and focus on something else.
1: Well, I love this follow-up that he says. He says, part of me thinks the passion I have for it will propel me to completion. The other part of me thinks that I will blindly stumble through and ruin something I love. And I think that's really adorable because he's not going to ruin anything i mean working on something is not going to destroy or corrupt the idea in your mind um but it's like the care he has for this concept is so palpable um that that makes me want him to do whatever this project is no matter what at this point like he cares so much it's like the king who was like kill you know cut the baby in half and the person who said no don't cut the baby in half is the one that should be the parents you're the parents martin you should make this movie
0: well does does he mention how much uh that he's shot in the past like how many films they've made
1: Um, he comes from a few years in fashion photography, but I, but he's a new filmmaker and he has no budget and just a few friends, but there's a thing like you can make your short and you can make it the idea that you are most passionate about. And then you could make it again. Once you know more than you did the first time, like you don't, you don't get one chance to make a project. You could do it over and over again if you want to.
0: Right. We've heard stories like that where people have made full features and then reshot them (laughs) because they weren't good enough, you know? Um, So that's not, like, an impossible thing. But, I mean, the other thought is that if you've never made anything before, like, maybe just try making, like, the simplest thing, which is, like, kind of going back to, like, what we did in film school, you know, is, like, just tell a continuity story. This is what I did at SF State. It's, like, you know, some of the examples they gave us were, like, making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that has, like, a beginning, middle, and end to, like, the story of the sandwich you know just so you can like put something together Um, I went a little bit bigger than that. I made like a little short film for that assignment just because I made a turkey dinner. I made a turkey dinner. It wasn't a very good turkey dinner, but like, you know, (laughs) that's what we did. Um, So I don't know, that's probably what I would do is like, just try like, you have your friends, you you have at least some kind of camera, even if it's your iPhone, like just try making something that you can do in a day that's not gonna like destroy you completely mentally because this thing is obviously very close to you. And then once you've done that, then, you know, maybe that that'll be like your warm up film to like making this thing that you really, really care about. That's that's probably what I would do if I had never shot anything before.
1: I think that's good advice. So thank you, Martin Duke, for writing in. And I'm so excited we got to answer this question.
0: Liz, what do you think? What would you do? I thought
1: I kind of said it. Um. I say you just try and fail miserably, honestly. Oh, like, yeah. You just do it. I would what, just do it. Do. And I would wow. be disappointed and probably like upset. But at the end of the day, <laughs> I would have finished it. And then I would have seen what I did wrong. And then I would do it again.
0: Wow. So, uh, Martin, uh, after you hear this, please write back to us and let us know what you decided to do. And show us what you made. Because we would love to see uh, this film, either the version of the first version of the thing that you love or a completely different movie that you're just as your practice film. One last thing, just shout out to uh, Tim Draper, Adam Draper, and Polly Draper, who I've all worked with um, at some point or another. Polly is uh, Alex's mom and Tim is Alex's uncle and Adam is Alex's cousin so these are guys I've done corporate video for for a long time and it was really fun to talk to Alex I did not tell him I knew his family I just there wasn't really time for that but uh but yeah, if you guys are listening, um, yeah, hope you guys like this conversation with Alex Wolf. Um, All right. So, yeah, I was just doing some research and, you know, you were in the Naked Brothers Band show in like 2006 or something, like way back in the day. So my first question was sort of just before we get into the directing thing. Yes, we want to talk about the movie and your first feature and everything, because that's like a big part of what we like to talk about on the show. Um, but just to lead up into that. Uh, You've been on camera since like you were nine, is that right? Since the sonogram, that's
2: what I say. Been on camera since the sonogram.
0: Right, wow. Um, So what has it been like, man, just to like kind of be, you know, in one show or in movies or doing your own YouTube show um, since you were like 10 years old? YouTube show? Uh, Yeah, uh, the Nat and Alex show. That's you, right?
2: yeah, we was we never did a YouTube show. Maybe we did some videos, but we never did a Yeah, show. not a real
0: YouTube show, but like yeah, it was like whatever, your thing that you guys were doing like on your own um, Oh, right, um
2: pr- to promote our album.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah, yeah we're, exactly. I was
2: never um uh, like a YouTube guy or anything, but um uh, right, I mean right. it was great. it was it was awesome doing the show. Like I loved um I loved every minute of doing the Naked Brothers Band. I still love it. Like I, I, It kind of taught me everything that I, I needed to know as an actor a little bit. I mean, obviously, there's way more you learn along the way, but, but what it really taught me, and it was a great first seed to plant, was that um, acting has to be free, and acting has to be wild, and it has to be uncontrolled, and it has to be, in some ways, unprofessional and not... Organized and not choreographed, overly choreographed, and uh, and I guess I th- I really felt like I learned that on the Naked Brothers Band. And as a kid, I was just um, you know kind of wild, and the show was wild, and I felt so comfortable with my friends and my brother and uh, my family. And so I guess I felt like uh, that lack of nervousness really helped establish my. I don't know uh, uh, build start building my muscles as an actor. I felt like I got to just be free and wild and I'm sort of always chasing that freedom that I had as a kid um, in, in a lot of ways.
1: As a director, do you try to create the environment on set?
2: Yes, yes, that was my big, that was probably my number one priority on set. I mean, there's a lot of priorities, but my number one priority was to get free, loose, um, uh, relaxed, Is a tough word because the performances are kind of by no means relaxed. Everybody's pretty manic and wild. But but it's actually, even if a performance is manic and wild, you can sense if something is not relaxed. You know, like you can sense if someone is stiff or, you know, um, pushing or, and I wanted things to fly out of people. I wanted to feel like we were peering in on a crazy world. Um, And yeah, I just wanted to feel a freedom and a wildness and, a total loose uh spirit to the whole thing
0: nice so you were um you know like we were saying been on tv for a long time you were in a show in treatment and then you jumped into movies pretty quickly like what point did you know that you wanted to uh be a writer and director was it pretty early on
2: well i mean i i'd, I'd written my uh, i'd written a musical when i was like 10 um uh and i'd written. Uh, a million scripts and stuff just as a kid you know my mom was a writer and i was obsessed with movies and i wrote my school play in seventh grade um and so i would kind of been doing it for a long time it's just that this story seemed to be the first one that i could actually tell in a real um tangible way
0: nice um So I I did a little research this morning, as I was saying, and I found uh, your short film Boots that you made back in 2015. Boots, yeah. So was that like your first uh, attempt at directing and kind of telling your own story from start to finish?
2: Well, no, I'd I'd done a bunch of shorts before that one. That was kind of an interesting, it was my first journey into this type of, that type of filmmaking, that type of uh, sort of... uh, almost guerrilla New York filmmaking, but I'd make it, I made a bunch of shorts like that, that gone to festivals and stuff. Um, just when I was younger, I started when I was probably like 13 making shorts. Oh wow. Yeah. But that one was a, that one was a fun one. Um, although cat in the moon was like, my learning curve was pretty perpendicular.
0: Right. Well at that point you'd already, you know, been on all these big budget sets and, you know, have made a bunch of stuff yourself, obviously. Um, so, one of the other things I was curious about, just from knowing your work um, in in Hollywood movies, like what did you take away from like being on those big budget sets that you brought into your into your first feature?
2: Well, I guess I took away I guess I took away a lot of maybe what I didn't want to do as a director. Oh. Um, I feel like I learned you know so much as an actor and uh, uh, you know what makes a movie work and all those things. but A lot I also realized um, there's a lot of maybe things that I wanted to do for myself that maybe I didn't get or that I did get, but uh, I I wanted to make it not feel like a movie set for most of the time. I wanted to make it feel like we were uh, just kind of dropping in and and this world was unfolding rather than me presenting the world. I wanted the world to sort of unfold in front of you.
1: Well, I want to get into that a little bit because um, our podcast is part um, self-help for filmmakers. And, <laughs> and See, I think... I'm
2: so glad. I was thinking <laughs> that I wish I had this podcast before <laughs> because it I, there was such a discouraging six years in there of just so much. Oh, just just like, slogging it out. Just slogging it out. Just when is this movie going to get made? When is anybody gonna listen to me? Every day I was like, are we gonna be able to shoot tomorrow? Is this a thing? Like, am I just am I just poking around in the dark and so to st- sitting here staring at the Cat in the Moon poster and the fact that it's like premiering tonight, it's just like
1: but that's I hilarious because I, well, I'll just speak for myself, but I'm like on this recording thinking, oh my gosh, he's so fancy. Like there's nothing I can relate to with this guy. And then now you're just saying <laughs> all these things that I think about on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> I so seem like, fancy.
2: I'm honestly, oh, genuinely so honored. Fancy. No, <laughs> I'm not, I am not fancy. We had, um, we literally every day had to probably reshoot. Most of the things, like I had a perfect take one time where I was smoking the cigarette with this girl and we couldn't use it because some guy walked in front of the camera and just flipped off the camera <laughs> and said, fuck you, like that, into oh, wow. the camera. <laughs> like That's that. funny. right in the camera. And I, I had to go in the editing room and find a way to use it. We had a perfect... There was this one long take of the scene that ended up getting cut, but we had one long take where we walked from 50th to like 57th Street. It was a cool scene. I, it just didn't work with the movie. And it mostly didn't work because the only take that worked, some dude walked out of a convenience store and just started waving to the camera and saying, I'm in a movie. <laughs> I'm in a movie. While we're That's walking. That's
1: evidence. That's evidence that you're fancy. Like someone wants to ruin your
2: <laughs> Such, a right. Such a jerk. Such a jerk. I just like... Like, I'll hate that person forever.
0: So so let's talk about the six years of struggles that you mentioned. Um, like, when did you first write this script? And yeah, like, talk about the journey of getting it made and put on screen.
2: It was right after um, I came out of my mother's womb and there was a typewriter um, in, the, in the hospital. <laughs> and I just <laughs> kind of started crackling away on the thing. No, uh, it's okay, so six years probably till the movie actually was... Made so it's. I guess I more could call it a five-year struggle. But I started writing when I was fifteen, um, in order to not study for finals in high school, because um, uh, I have such bad ADD, and I just wanted to do something else. And I was feeling, uh, I was feeling a certain way at the time, and I felt that it was personally a very t- uh, tumultuous. Is such a like, kind of a tepid bullshit word for what I'm trying to say, but I was, I (laughs) was feeling on fire would be a good way of saying it. I was feeling on fire when I was 15. I felt like I was on fire everywhere I went. I didn't really understand it. And so I was writing a lot of short stories and I started with just, um, you know, uh, uh, just churning out these short stories that were, pretty disturbing probably now in retrospect and embarrassing and when I read them I'm like oh just shut up Alex just shut up when I read those stupid short stories but then this script just started coming out of me and I didn't really have a direction for it I just had these colors and I, I like what um, you know a lot of directors will say like uh, you know like things just start off as shapes and colors and then they slowly become real people but I, I was really feeling these things and and going to these parties and, and, and I felt there were these bright, um, kind of vibrant colors. Um, and I hadn't really seen a movie about young people in a long time that I connected with. I just thought that either the movies about young people were these just despicable, gross, horrible people on their phones and jeweling and just awful, or they were, you know, these overly clever, um, fast talking screenwriter talking type of, you know, written by 45-year-old men and so I just felt like I wanted to do a different kind of thing and so yeah it just kind of came about when I was 15 and then it took it like five it took me like five years to make it a readable thing like a readable document because I think for a while it was just a scramble of emotional expressions and you know uh you know, terrible things like that. But then it slowly, I think with five years of really um, carving out what the story was, uh, it, it became, you know, the cat in the moon that it is. Also going into meetings with anyone that I could get a meeting with and getting rejected, like, as I walked in the door. I'd be like, hi, nice to meet you, I'm Alex. They're like, hi, we're not going to make your movie. Would you like some water or coffee? Or, And I would just be... You know, I mean, I, I, the amount, I, I mean, it's just, I love people who have made a movie. Like, I love to meet people. I don't care if it's the worst movie I've ever seen. I love all people who have made a movie because it's to get to that point when you've made a movie is just, I mean, I I feel like a gray-haired man at this point. Um but you know, I'm still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about movies. I, I I never let. I've never gotten cynical or anything. Even throughout the five years, I was. I felt like you know, it takes a lot of strength to be optimistic in this industry and to be and to be positive and have faith in yourself. Um, and so I kind of just put on this brave face and. Um, yeah, it was really, really hard getting this movie made, and it damaged my ego probably permanently. Uh, but it doesn't matter because I'm sitting or staring at the poster. So all those people who said no, fuck you, like I don't want to seem like I'm some like anarchist, angry, bitter guy. I actually mean it as the opposite. Like I mean it. Like I want to be the young guy who's telling the other young guys like. All the people who are saying no like don't listen to them persevere that's really my like thing As like I'm not saying like fuck them they don't understand more like like we uh, believe keep keep believing what you're doing and don't let them kind of crush you because I I guess my feeling is more that like young people more often than not feel crushed and feel um, and feel small and feel minimized and feel unimportant because there's so much content out there there's so many movies but you know what guess what doesn't matter your movie matters Every, if you love your movie your movie matters and you have to go make your movie and even if it doesn't work if you have a spark and you're willing to go through the hell that is making a movie especially if you have multiple years to make your movie it's in some way or another worth making it is. You have to go, and you have to make the movie. If, if you know, I, I do get annoyed by people who are like, maybe I'll just like make a movie. Like that's annoying. But like the people, <laughs> the people who spend years to make it. So if if it came off obnoxious to say, oh, fuck you, everybody didn't whatever. I mean it in the most positive way, and and I find that it's actually a fun, like film communities are fun that were sort of counterculture and kind of. Bonded as a a group against the people who uh, you know, uh, against the people who say no, and against the people who are cynical, and against the people who don't understand what it's like to make a movie, and against the, I don't know, the industry people, and against the critics a little bit, and against you know, I just like being united as a as a as a force. So I don't know, that's my feeling. I meant
0: it only positive. Right. No, that's great advice. I think just to go make your movie and then don't don't listen to the nose because that's something that all filmmakers young and old here every day is the nose. You know, like we've all been told no and the door slammed in our face. And it's kind of refreshing to hear that someone who's been in the industry as long as you have and successful in the industry as long as you have, have has, has the same struggles and hears the same no's. Because I think oh, yeah. a lot of times when you see like an actor like you who's been in things that we've heard of, oh, they're going to go make their first movie. It's like we just assume it's easy. We're like, oh, yeah, that guy, he was in Jumanji. Oh, yeah, it must have been so easy to get his movie made. But it's it's nice to hear that, no, you you had to push through just like the rest of us to get your story told in your film made.
1: Yeah. What turned it all around for you, Alex? You said that like you, 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 were slogging it through, but then what created the yes for you to green light this project?
2: I said, I'm going to make the movie this summer. Um, and I ended up making nice. it in February, but I said, I'm making the movie this summer, I, and, and, uh, and I got mean, I got green, I got lean, I got, um, I became, <laughs> I became a monster like I became, something else happened. I just finished Hereditary and I went, you know what? Uh, I, you know, I had this intense emotional experience and I saw, you know, movies can be, and I'd, I'd had a lot of intense emotional experiences. I did Patriot's Day, all those things, but something about that movie I went, this first feature was, th- this process was so intense. The next movie, I, I, I felt this thing where I was like, I don't need to work Um, on something else if I don't love it what I'm going to do is I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket and I'm going to make this movie this summer and so I reached out to Peter Berg who I'd worked with and he signed on to executive produce and I just became a monster I became um a monster like I just called everybody I um embarrass myself i i almost felt like i (laughs) i became like i had an alter ego i had like a i feel like i sound a little crazy right now i'm not usually this crazy but no one's asked me specifically about this part of the process and i think it's time to be honest now the movie's coming out i was like calling everybody i would wake up in the morning and my goal was to get a certain amount of you know someone to say yes to a certain amount of money i would go into meetings with everybody i didn't care who it was i would um you know i would just do anything i was ready to do
0: anything that's awesome man you used all the connections that you had at your disposal to get it done you know and just like went out there more than the connections
2: it it was about the work i put into it like i made a shot list um that was so grossly specific like people thought i was a sociopath like i it was like a 60 page shot list of every single scene every single shot i put together uh you know um, this this document of about 400 pictures of what I wanted it to look like, all the color palettes. I made uh, mood boards and all these things. I made it so, I wanted to make it really hard for someone to say no to making the movie. I wanted to make it so, okay, listen, if you're going to say no, say no to the entire package. Here's all the music that I'm going to put in the movie. You know, Here's a, 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 all the playlists. Here is, I made all this, these tracks for the movie. I said, here is, uh, the script here is the shot list for every single scene here is my dreamcast here is this here is the lease to my house like let's make this movie I will do anything <laughs> I will do nice. anything
0: and and do you think that's why your producers Ken Keller and Karen Rudner agreed to actually produce the movie with you is because you did all that prep work
2: Probably. I mean, I think they were also, they kind of signed on and they were one of the, they were one of the people who were like pushing me to do that. Um,
0: oh, but
2: nice. We nice. just always had like the joke of, well, we'll make it work, you know? And I know a lot of people have that thing, but like we had a lot of curveballs. I had an entire cast. We'd gotten the financing. I had an entire cast and a month before shooting, every single person dropped out. I'm not kidding. I had seven people attached to all the different roles and every single person dropped out. And I haven't told anybody that, but and, and the funny thing is, these other people were kind of my dream choices, like my friends and you know Tommy Nelson and Stefania and Mike and all these people. But they were all busy, and so I kind of went to these other people, and I kind of went, well, compromise. You know, I may, I'm a bulldog. I'm going to make this movie. And then every single person dropped out. It felt like um, it felt like one by one, people were just dying. Like they were just calling and saying they were dying. And when the second one person left, it was like a domino effect. And I was left depressed wow. and thinking that I was never going to get my movie made. Um, And then eventually, you know, I just said, we're going to figure it out. We we can't stop the train. We have to keep going. We're going to figure it out. And then at a certain point, it just did start to work out and just somehow. And I called Mike and I was um, Mike was it was like two weeks before we started filming. I'd seen him in the Bessie Smith movie. I was obsessed with him. I was like, I need to have you in this role. Like you understand this cool jazz musician you know thing you just have this thing about you and i called him and i was kind of like teary-eyed on the phone i was like i just want you to do this movie so bad i know you have a crazy stand-up schedule wow Um, and just i want you to do it and finally he was like okay let's do it i was like do it yes 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 and i just uh it was a really nice experience
1: I'm just sitting here smiling also I mean in addition to you being just a, a great storyteller but you're saying a lot of the things we hear people say on this podcast which is like set dates and Oh so get the I'm not train. special? I'm not special? Oh, <laughs> Alex, I think you know you're special. Um but you know get the train rolling. I want to go back to you um talking about all the times essentially you were directed poorly and what you wanted to change as a director. Can you give some advice for our listeners about as an actor, what you needed to hear that you didn't get from other directors?
2: Well, I'll start by saying I've been really lucky so i've been really 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 lucky i have had amazing directors i've had you know i can count on one half of one hand directors who maybe didn't deliver for me the way i needed like i've been so lucky but what i'd say to you know um up-and-coming directors is this isn't always advice and like that people want to hear um, or that they like necessarily and some directors are probably rolling their eyes but this is my experience treat your actors like kings and queens um, like treat your actors like um, they are dear and you don't want to scare them off and but at the same time like you're I want you to love me like I want a director to adore me I don't just want them to tolerate me or appreciate me i sort of want them to love me and i guess in my experience if you love your actors and you you know only hire don't fake it only hire actors that you love and hire right. the ones that you know will take you to the promised land and i guess through worshiping my actors worshiping treating them like knowing that acting is really hard and being so delicate and so kind and gentle and if they do a terrible take, you don't tell them that. Just don't get impatient. Be Just just worship them. I've noticed really relaxed, good performances come out of that if you just kind of worship them. A lot of people think that's dumb advice. I'm just telling you in my experience. Because <laughs> most likely, you're going to get irritated with them at points anyway. So you might as well right. lead with loving them, lead with worshiping them. Eventually, you're going to have to say, no, Alex, do it the way I asked you to do it. You know, Eventually, you're going to have to do
0: that. So none of this Oliver Stone, like, you know, mind game sort of approach to directing where you, you kind of mess with their minds to get them to give the performance you want? like you Well, know, that's not in that what process. Ingmar Bergman
2: does. That's not what, you know, the Dardyne <laughs> right. brothers do. That's not what Martin Scorsese does. That's not, you know, what right. uh, Milos Forman does. You know, I, I, that's not what the, du- the directors that I respond the most to do. I can see in right. film, I can see... Sorry, I'm very passionate about this. You caught me at a time... Like, you got me it's all worked up now talking about the movie. I'm, like, the most intense version of myself now. But, like, I see it in, like, Lee Chang Dong's movies that he worships his actors and loves his actors. And I see it in Taxi Driver. I see it in, uh, you know, I see it in Sidney Lumet's movies. I see it in Dog Day Afternoon. I mean, well, listen, there's a there's a line. You don't want to be cowardly with your actors you don't want to be lie to them you don't want to be you know (laughs) you don't want to placate them if they're if they're terrible and difficult of course you want to be honest with them you want to tell them you know if something's not working you have to be honest I guess I just want I feel like love you know like with a family member like if you love a family member like you'll say hey you have a drinking problem or something you know what I mean like like you'll be straight with them but I want to feel that you love me I don't want to feel like you're like hey um you know, when you hit your mark here, don't turn two inches to the left. Like, I guess I just want to feel. Um, and most of the time, directors right. really give that. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm saying
0: all the wrong stuff. It's no, just this, kind is of, no th- this is fantastic. I've never heard the it. this. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I know, it's probably wrong. Well, and this is kind of how I like to approach it, too. I mean, just to respect my actors, you know, and give them what they need, you know, and give them the attention and the time that they deserve to, to give the performances that they need, because... You know, it's a really vulnerable thing that you guys do like putting yourself on screen. And it's It's like you're playing a character, but you're also putting so much of your own self in every character that you, you know, create. So I I just I've always respected that process. And I've never bought into that whole, like, you know, mind game sort of bullshit. I just think that's counterproductive.
2: Although Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone, uh, people, people, I think that's a lot of myths. You know, I was talking to Nick Cage about working with Oliver Stone. He's great. Oh, really? Yeah, he's awesome.
0: No, I I just read this book about him, and that's where they were talking about that on uh, Wall Street. I think it was like doing something with uh, Charlie Sheen or whatever. But well, um, I yeah, listen, mind games are the same thing. Like
2: ordinary people, like Robert Redford did, had everybody not really talk to Timothy Hutton, but that's not a mind game. That's a um, that's helping your actor. That's that's uh, that's cultivating a performance. That's protecting your actor. You know, that's that is love. That is you know is trying to get a great performance out of them you know sometimes love is being tough on your actor
1: well I guess my question is can you love them in a low-budget setting can you love an actor but not be able to give them everything that they need like that wonderful speech that Michelle Williams gave about you know like the budget and how the budget went to her to better craft a character I was just sitting there thinking I don't have the budget to get you not wooden teeth Michelle Williams Tell, tell us how you can um, specifically support an actor without maybe, if you don't have a trailer or if you don't have green m ms on set. Oh, like you really we didn't to. have
2: a trailer, let me tell you. We were all, we would sit in Chinese restaurants and and hope that people, um, you know, on St. Mark's Avenue were not going to flip off the camera. I mean, we did not have a... But here's the thing, like, to me, what loving your actors is like... Uh, we're all on the roof and we're all my, I I, have you guys seen the movie? Did you get to see cat in the moon?
0: No, I just watched the trailer this morning. I didn't get a chance to to watch the full film.
2: Um, bummer, but, um, (laughs) we, there's a scene where we're all getting high on the, on the roof and I start talking about my dad and, um, and we're all there. And one of my actors was, I feel like this is just like a story where I'm like trying to brag about. It's not that it's just that basically one of my actors was, um, he was like he had to do the story we were trying to figure out what story would be a funny story for him to tell and he started telling it and it was just feeling like not totally there it was great but it was just not feeling totally there and I was kind of like yeah don't worry about it we had a long day ahead of us and he knew that we had a long he kept saying dude I'm sorry like dude we have a long day like and I guess loving your actors being like dude take a breath just don't worry about it don't worry about the day just try and you know have some fun, do whatever. So what we started doing to loosen up, we all just started freestyle rapping and having a fun, having <laughs> fun freestyle rapping. And I was like, guys, it's just freestyle rap. Let's just relax, get everybody relaxed. And that's what ended up in the movie. We didn't even put the story in. We put the freestyle rapping. So I guess oh, wow. it's like loving your actors is going... You know, okay, good, like, like like, Martin Scorsese, that story about Jonah Hill when he was just doing these takes and they were not good, instead of embarrassing him and yelling at him and making him tense on more, he just went, okay, let's take a five-minute break, and he just sat next to him, and I, that to me, that's what loving your actors is, and even if you don't have the budget for a five-minute break, you have the budget to let your actor take A minute and go walk around or a minute and just do some jumping jacks loosen up laugh a little or you know go and get totally in the zone and walk off you have the time don't let any production designer don't let anybody tell you that it's more important that the the plush rug is is bright red and we have to you know make that fit in the room perfectly than it is for your actor to get the total space they need to start crying or whatever like don't let anybody convince you that any amount of budget you could have a ten dollar budget, you have time to let an actor go walk around and relax for a second
0: nice, so yeah, you don't mean get them the biggest trailer possible. you just mean give them the the well let, look get them the later. biggest
2: trailer possible i mean it, <laughs> I mean possible hell yeah
0: oh that's funny um. Anyways, yes. Yeah, side note: I, I worked with uh, Francis Ford Coppola on a movie a, a long time ago, and he's a s- strict believer in no trailers. He's got like a no trailer policy on his latest mo- later movies. So I always thought about that and like that's, oh, that's so cool. Um, anyways, uh, let's see. Where do we want? To, what do we want to, want to talk about now? Um, oh, so when you got the you, you did all the prep right? You did the the um, you know shot list, the score, all those things in order to convince people that you could make this movie. Um, and then all the actors dropped out. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, I guess what I'm wondering is like working up to, to, you know, actually making the film, like what were some other things that you did to ensure your success? Like, did you like work with your cinematographer a lot beforehand? Like, how did you meet your cinematographer? Like, like talk to us about pulling your crew together.
2: Well, I did that. Um, but also I gained 30 pounds, um, for, you know, the role in order to kind of, believe that i was going to be some tough kid from detroit um when i'm not that uh and i shaved my head and i got a bunch of tattoos and so i got a cat i got the cat in the moon tattoo on my back which i wanted to have in the movie before i made the movie um and there wasn't even yeah there wasn't even confirmed financing yet and i did it because i was and i did it with the producers um this guy um brendan and this producer ken and we got these tattoos on our backs And we kind of went. It was almost like a thing of like we don't care if people like this movie. We don't care if this movie never gets made. Um, We believe in this movie, and that's all. Really, all that matters. Uh, So I guess it was a lot of that. It was a lot of, you know, a lot. The acting part of it was really big, but uh, you know, I told, I said the the shot listing and the and the music all and the pictures and doing all that kind of stuff, but also thinking about your vibe on set and thinking about what you want the environment to be and how free you want it to be. Uh, and I basically stayed in character for, you know, two and a half months or something um, oh, to wow. a certain degree, uh, which, is you know, stay in character is such a silly, stupid thing kind of. But what I mean is that, you know, we were kind of all going by the character names and trying to live in that world as much as possible. So then You know when the camera was on us when we were maybe weren't quote unquote you know in the scene it would still feel like we were the characters and i felt like everybody fully gave themselves to the movie so there's a lot of that and figuring out you know the vibe and making sure that everybody was fully giving themselves to the movie
0: and then how many days did you shoot 19. oh nice yep 19
2: for an 111 page script it's a lot. Oh,
0: 111 pages! Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm uh, about to shoot my first feature in a month from now. Amazing. Roughly. And uh, dude, it's you shouldn't be doing
2: this interview. Well, <laughs> go, you, need gotta, go, gotta, you need to go. You go go shalas. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, we're working. I'm working with my cinematographer on that. Um, but yeah, it's 101 pages, and we're gonna try to shoot in 15 days. Oh Jesus! So I envy your extra four days, but I don't envy your extra 10 pages.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not fun. Not fun at all.
1: So what are your plans for the film in terms of its release? I mean, obviously, it's out into the world now, but what is what is your pipe dream of how it would be received by an audience?
2: Um, I mean, I don't really care. I mean, uh, FilmRise, what I care about is that people see the movie. That's my goal, is that as many people see it as possible um, and that people like it. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't really... Uh, I don't know I, it's just it, it's not that I don't care it's that I try not to think about it too much I have to more think about specifically what you're doing you know like um, the fact that it's getting released in New York and LA in theaters which you know a lot of movies these days it is really hard to get it in theaters and that's one of the reasons oh, yeah. I went with FilmRise because they put out My Friend Dahmer and it, My Friend Dahmer did really well um, and they were going to put it out in theaters and a lot of other people were interested in Cat in the Moon and wanted to put it out but but theaters was a very tough thing to get. Um and if it does really well this first weekend, I just really want people to go see it the first weekend because if it does well, then it'll go to other theaters and then more people can see it. And I just feel like um so much of the world it, I, I don't care is, is almost a lame thing for me to say. But what I mean by that is that like so much <laughs> of the world is making art to um I don't know for to fit to fill some quota or to fit something for other people, but I guess I want people to want people to see a movie that was made purely out of the desire for me to um, give something uh, of myself, and if people hate it, what I mean is that I don't care because I gave something of myself in this movie. I gave a lot of myself, and so now looking at the poster and all that stuff, uh, it's like that's a piece of me and if you don't like it then i'm sorry and it'll hurt but uh at least i don't feel like you like something that isn't a piece of me you know uh and uh i guess that's all how i can that's how i feel about all my art and um you know you have to be able to live and die on something and die on the hill of something that you
0: love nice uh so just to put liz on blast for a quick second um you know she's made two feature films um her second's about to come out in january amazing and um part of the thing that she talked about on the show uh in a previous episode was that like her first film was a success it did well got distribution Uh, i don't think it had theatrical right liz the bread and butter correct
1: but we would have made less money had we done a theatrical (laughs) right right
0: Right. But one of the things that she said was that with her second feature, she she wanted like a seat at the table, as she put it, you know, she wanted to be like recognized by her peers because she used to work at Sundance and she feels like, you know, I don't know, maybe you could put it better, Liz.
1: Well, I just felt like I was like behind the glass, tapping the glass the whole time. <laughs> right. Um, that's like what I, my my analogy. So I don't know what you're going to say, Alric, but I enjoyed this well, blast.
0: No, what I was going to say is that for making this feature, were were you thinking of any of those kinds of things cuz like you're you know, you're known as an actor. Um like were, did you have any like idea of like no, I want people to take me seriously as a no. filmmaker or was it just simply like I just want people to see this movie, put a piece of myself out there and then whatever happens happens.
2: Yeah, the latter. No, I, I didn't I didn't care about that at all. Pierce, totally honest, too. I'm not meaning to be like, you right. know, it's not an a, like an arrogance thing or anything like that. I just, it just uh, uh, stuff is poison when you start thinking about that. Right. Like I wanted to take a I wanted to take a hammer and smash the glass. Like I I, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I right. It's and, and it's not that I'm. It's not that I don't care because I really care. I really hurt. It really hurts my feelings if people don't like it. It really makes me happy if people love it. It's just that while you're making it, you just can't think about that stuff, or it poisons the experience you have to follow your own thing and all that panic and all that anxiety and all that whatever can come later you know and 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 i guess i i I could feel that now i really want my peers to respect it. i really want um i really want the directors i love to, to to like it but the thing is when when yeah when you express a piece of yourself it kind of it becomes irrelevant what people um say because if you can watch something and feel like well yeah that's that's what i was trying to do that's kind of all you can ask for and it starts getting a little poisonous if you start thinking you know oh i want this person to like it or this person to like it i guess i've just been in enough movies where some you know gets some great review and i'm very aware that you know my i could have done better in one scene or you get a terrible review you're like no i i was really good in that like i think they're wrong It's just important to stand by what you believe in, and not really. You can't let other people's opinions influence you or poison you. And you know, my my advice is just don't read reviews. Don't you know? Don't even get into that.
0: (laughs) I I can't help myself.
1: (laughs) Also, this is like now therapy. This is fantastic.
2: It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it because these reviewers—they've never made a movie, you know. Like, and and it's not any disrespect, but they—they've never made a movie. They don't know what it's like to start sobbing on camera and to release that. Like, I mean, it's almost like you read the reviews, they all sound the same. They all say, illuminating performance. uh, It's all the same. It's all, it just feels the same.
1: Yeah, I used to be a critic. And <laughs> and um, a lot of people were vying just to get quotes on posters. It was like, you got to speak in a soundbite, because then you get to be the quote on the poster. And it was kind of despicable at times. And I really hated doing it. Um, and you know eventually we stopped doing it Um, but I just want to say Alex I'm gonna learn about what you eat in the morning so that I can eat whatever that is (laughs) and I'm going to just um, take everything you said and and digest it because it's all wonderful Um, thank you
0: thank you thanks guys Um, so what was my question gonna be it was a was about like where you see your career from this point forward you know so you're you've done a lot of acting you've made your first feature Like, what are your next steps? Like, are you planning to make another feature right away? Is it something that, like, if you have the right story that you'll want to tell, that you'll make a movie? Like, what, where, where are you headed, basically?
2: I don't know, man. I'm just thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner, honestly. It's like, I just got to, I just got to keep, um, right, following what I want and not really, uh, not really worrying about that. I just can't. I mean, I definitely want to do another movie. Uh, I want to, myself to a lot of more movies to act in. I mean like it's so funny like I you know Nicolas Cage is my favorite actor um, in the world he's my kind of always been my artist influence in his choices and his everything and I had just for the first time ever I went to Italy for Cat in the Moon to premiere and I took like a week off where I really st- wasn't thinking about the career or anything. I was reading a lot, and I was I, wa- I watched all the Ingmar Bergman movies. I watched um, oh, all nice. the all the Antonioni movies. Um, I watched I just watched uh, like three movies a day and just kind of really inhaled and really just explored throughout Europe and had this really uh, nice time. And and I came back not really worrying about what next movie I was gonna do I was really happy with the movies I'd done and I just was like you know what I'm just gonna and the script came along with Nicolas Cage and it was one of the best scripts I'd ever read and it was a two-hander with just me and Nicolas Cage my favorite actor and one of my favorite scripts I've ever read and that just came along and I thought well then that is gonna try and be my mentality for the rest of my career is just follow this wave and not Uh, try and micromanage every move because the second you start thinking this will be cool this will work just don't you have to just go with your what's going on in your stomach but still that means you still got to go write your script and try and make it I'm trying to make my second movie you know this is making it a little easier at least people are like you know know that I'm not a total joke but still I'm getting the same you know it's the same it's a grind but uh, but I guess I try not to think about uh, quote unquote career you just got to love movies with everything in your being and and follow
0: that light nice liz we're getting the red blinking light do you have any last questions for alex before we go
1: nothing i already feel like i had a therapy (laughs) session in these 48 minutes
0: so thank you thank you this is fun i have one more question alex okay so all to all the filmmakers out there who have a script and have a movie they want to make but are kind of not sure what to do next what advice would you give those filmmakers
2: uh, make it a short film and make that first. Uh, that would be my advice. Go okay. write a short film version and make that first. And the ones who made a bunch of short films and they have a feature, uh, try and start getting like $10 from all your friends to make it, right. uh, and make it for as little money as humanly possible. Um, and hopefully just make it short, make it shorter.
0: Nice. Yeah. And I'll attest to your advice because I was one of those filmmakers who'd made seven short films, had my feature script, was like, I don't need to make another short version of this. I've already made so many shorts. And then in the end, what did I do? I made a short version of my feature. And that's what helped me make the feature that I'm going to shoot in a month. So that's great advice. I stand by that as well. Um, And Alex, dude, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks, man. So fun awesome all right everybody uh yeah go uh, see the cat and the moon uh when wow it comes out. Is Dude, it you don't even now? know
2: the title why don't you I know the do, title the I cat do. and the
0: moon the cat and the moon i just don't know the date of when it's coming out is <laughs> it is it out today
2: no it's out october 25th
0: october 25th yeah. The cat and the moon on october 25th thanks again alex for being on the show and thanks, yeah talk to you guys later
1: Thanks for listening. Thanks to Alex for being on the show. Um, We should all go see his movie on all the platforms that they're on. Um, That was horrible grammar. Anyway, (laughs) um, check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com, where you can find links to all the stuff that we talked about on the show. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at MMIHpodcast. I'm Liz Banischel on Twitter and all platforms and alrick
0: i am alrick b on twitter instagram and facebook and then my movie the alternate is at the alternate film on instagram and facebook and uh alternate film one on twitter so check that out
1: yeah please if, if you like the show tell a friend help us get the word out uh leave a review on itunes we're reading those now um send us a question through facebook or via email and um thank you again and we'll talk to y'all next week